The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting. Dodo Birds and Leaky Black, Matt Norlander, is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, please go ahead and smash that like button like you're Brandon Davies. You have consent. And if you are watching on YouTube, uh, let me go ahead and apologize for my appearance. I now have 14 stitches above my left eye, and my left eye is swollen pretty badly. It turns out, and I guess I... I always assume this but never really knew for sure turns out headbutting the corner of a dresser in the middle of the night it can take a toll on your head hey dead leg how are you hey dead eye dead eye dick oh my god aren't you really looking at that camera can you can we get the full thing can we can we just i'm gonna i'm gonna when you i'm gonna wear the hat for the rest of the episode um just because it covers most of it up but in the spirit of transparency go ahead and, and and to uh, let people who might be watching the Veterans Classic on Friday night know what they're going to be dealing with on the sideline, take a look at this nonsense. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's taking it off. Oh, my gosh. Look at look at our guy. Our, uh, look at our guy. If you are, obviously, a lot of people listen to the podcast and don't watch uh, you can follow Ion College Basketball Podcast. Go to the YouTube channel. By the way, the fastest way to get the podcast is to watch live on YouTube. That's the fastest way. So a reminder there, GP just showed you. You legitimately look like you got into a boxing match, man. And so let me be clear here. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk plenty about college hoops, but we have to acknowledge this right off the jump because, one, this is like literally – this might actually impact your, your vocation, your day-to-day life here. You're supposed to be on – television in two days doing sideline duty dude 14 stitches and so what you got into a fight with a dresser in the middle of the night here what exactly happened man okay so if you go back and watch the leaky black episode shouts to leaky black he was tremendous i appreciate all the nice responses we we got for for doing that he was like having leaky black was going to be fun no matter what just because it's leaky black and he's a part of the podcast but like having him actually be good you never know um if a student athlete is going to 
be comfortable in that setting and, and, you know, interesting in that setting. And I, I thought he was just tremendous. I hope he plays basketball forever, but if he ever wants to have a job in this part of the business, um, he seems equipped to be able to do that. Smart guy, sharp guy. He was a lot of fun to talk to, but if you go back and watch that on YouTube, you'll know, and watch it closely. You'll see a few times where I clearly hit the mute button on my mic and I was coughing. And that's because at some point, on like late Friday nights, early Saturday, I developed a, a cough. Now, keep in mind, we had just been at Disney World for a week, you know, tra- flying there, flying back. You know, you're in Space Mountain with a million people. I had been exposed to a lot of people and I've had four COVID shots and a flu shot. So I'm just I'm just broadly speaking, not that concerned about it. You know, my kids are vaccinated. My wife's vaccinated. I was like, we'll be fine. Come back home, not feeling so well by Friday night, Saturday morning, but I'm getting through it. And I'm not the type that when I don't feel well, I just shut it down. My wife's always like, I don't feel well. I have to get in bed and lay there all day. And I'm like, I don't feel well, but I'm going to, you know, I was going to go play golf. So I'm going to go play golf. I don't feel well, but I got to work. I'm going to work. I just, I just plunge through it. And that's what I was doing, doing the leaky black episode, um, you know, even play golf on Sunday, not feeling well, but I was coughing pretty considerably. Took a, a COVID test that came back negative. So I'm like, okay, well, I just got a common cold then. It's probably not the flu because I know you can get the flu after a flu shot, but I've literally never had the flu after a flu shot. And so I was like, it's probably not the flu. No, it's not COVID. It's just a cold. I've got a cough. It'll be fine. I'll swig Dayquil. Wouldn't play golf Sunday. Was coughing the entire round, so much so that my guys who I'm playing with were like, yo, man, you must have that long COVID or something. <laughs> like, you you, you got to get this under control. Like during their back swings, it's just rough. Yeah, it was rough. I mean, I was coughing the whole time. Yeah. It became a running joke throughout the round. Get home, and I already wasn't feeling well. And I just said, all right, I'm going to bed early. Like, I'm, I'm tired. I don't feel well. This is a, probably a good night to just call it a night early. Went to bed at 9.30. That's the earliest I've been in my own bed asleep in a long time. Went to bed at 9.30. At some point, pitch black dark, around midnight or so, I wake up in the middle of the night and I am coughing so uncontrollably that I feel like I'm about to choke to death lying down. And I sort of jump up because I've got to get this cough under control. Now, keep in mind, we just got back from vacation. My wife's store had its five-year-old birthday party on Saturday. So she's been totally consumed with that. I've been consumed with work. Uh, Kids got baseball. Point being, our house was kind of a wreck. Like, there's just stuff everywhere. Suitcases that probably should be put up ain't quite put up yet. Just stuff laying around the floor. Well, I get up in the middle of the night, and I'm coughing uncontrollably. And I'm trying to get it under control, and I'm coughing, coughing, coughing. Stumble over something. Headbutt. We have a tall dresser in our bedroom, and I headbutted. I mean, it's obviously not too tall, or else I couldn't have headbutted the corner of it. that tall, my man. But it was, it was let's say I'm five almost five, eight, the corner of the thing is maybe like five, two. And when I stumbled while coughing, <clears throat> head butted the corner of it, big gash. And it was obvious very quickly that I had a big problem. Then we debated going to the emergency room or not. I said, I don't feel like I'm not hurting. I don't feel concussed. I don't feel disoriented. I know I'm cut. But I don't have much interest in going to an emergency room in the middle of the night. Let's just wait till the morning, call our friends who are doctors, and see what they recommend. So we waited. I went to a plastic surgeon on Monday. 
Um, got 14 stitches. They'll be in until next Tuesday, which means more or less this is what I'm going to look like on the sideline for the Veterans Classic on Friday night. My apologies in advance to Kelvin Sampson. There's always something, man. Start of a season with this podcast. Two years ago, I had a dead deer in my yard. There's just, there's always something going on. We're providing content. Uh, I'm glad you're feeling better. That's unreal. Shouts to Kevin B in the light in the chat. He just said some, some he calls it a dresser. Many call it a nightstand. That's a <laughs> and that is a, that is a, that is a good line. Yeah, man. I hope that I is re- like, you need because to speak it up. Like what? <coughs> just to show you, I'm not faking. I still have a cough. I'm struggling, okay. man. I'm struggling. I, I, I can oh, and, and here's the way we know it was the we now know it was the flu. Uh, guess who's downstairs right now in bed with the flu? My five year old. He uh, actually went to the doctor, got diagnosed with the flu yesterday. Uh, I, so yeah, I yeah, clearly right. passed it to him. Feel uh yeah, hope, hopefully your family's feeling better here as quickly as possible. We actually on the previous pod I mentioned, we actually uh wife and I just got our flu shots a couple couple of days ago there man oh man yeah if you got to uh if you got to hit that that little cough button there as many times as you need to don't worry i got you i got you buddy and uh, hopefully you're feeling better yeah get the get the frozen bag of peas on that on that eye as, as often yeah as i've been keeping because i saw your you shared the photo in our cbs slack troops slack room and like it didn't look great but it looked manageable dude you are you're four times worse now than what you I were know. Like it, like in truth on Monday afternoon, after I got the stitches, I reached out to, you know, my bosses at CBS sports network. And I said, Hey, listen, I want to be clear. I feel fine. I don't, I just don't look fine. And I know I don't ever look like, <laughs> like Evan Washburn or, or, or just Tracy Wilson or any, uh, accomplished sideline reporter. I, I, I start from a place of disadvantage, but like now I don't even look good relative to my own low standards and so i sent a selfie and they were like oh it'll, you know it'll be it, it's it'll be fine you know we can we'll even have fun with it but you are right it looks way worse today than it looked on monday and it looks way worse today than it looked last night like when i went to bed last night it was not swollen like this and when i woke up this morning my wife looked at me and she was like you're not going to be able to be on tv and so i still think i'm going to be on tv it just is what it is, but I, 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 am, I am compelled to send a updated selfie to my bosses and just say, before I get on this plane, like this is, this is what you're dealing with. Are you? Is everybody comfortable with it? I'm comfortable with it, but I got to make sure everybody else is. What a, what a programming just- note on that, just so our listeners know. Um, you know, we're back in the swing of the season. Sunday night episodes, Wednesday mornings, Friday mornings. For the most part, we're going to try and do our Wednesday and Fridays at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, 9 Mountain. 8 Pacific, 11 a.m. Wednesday, Friday shows for the most part, except when obviously schedules intervene and we'll we'll move around as need be. Again, the quickest way to get the show is to watch it live on YouTube. But with that being said, if Parrish is on, if, if, his, if his CBS Sports Network duties continue as planned, we are actually going to go live Thursday evening to preview the weekend and talk about the games because, you know, frankly, there's not a ton of, to talk about game-wise. We'll get to that very topic in just a second. If, for whatever reason, GP is pulled off a of sideline, uh, then we will go Friday morning, 11 Eastern, as usual, barring you having to go to the doctor or whatever like that, and we will pick our our five games for the weekend, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the quickest way to know when exactly that podcast is going to go up is obviously to be following uh, us on social media, in addition to I on CBB Podcast, on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but that's just a, a schedule tweak for this week if indeed you wind up doing TV stuff, which I think you'll wind up doing Friday. Yeah, I, 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 my plan is still to, to go work. And like I've already checked into my flight. Um, but and, and the reason we wouldn't be able to go Friday morning then is because 
you know, we have a, a doubleheader Friday night um, at the U.S. Naval Academy, Houston St. Joseph's, Princeton Navy, and the shoot-arounds are all Friday morning, four shoot-arounds that I'm going to be attending uh, in theory on Friday morning. So if I'm – if I, how about this? If I'm in Annapolis, Maryland, tomorrow we will be podcasting on Thursday night. If for some reason I am not in Annapolis, Maryland, we'll just podcast on Friday morning. Uh, we'll let you know soon as soon as we know. So that's that. We're now – <laughs> through two days of the college basketball season. There have been, unfortunately, zero marquee games to date, which is a, a real bummer. So I want to start by asking you this, uh, merely for the people who might not understand, because this doesn't really happen in other sports. Baseball has opening day, and it's a big thing. The NFL has that Thursday night opener, and it's a big thing. The NBA has a uh, season opening doubleheader featuring the reigning champions every year. And it's a big thing. And in college basketball, we started with every top 25 team in action against an outclassed opponent. Literally every top 25 team opened on uh, Monday with a game in which they were double-digit favorites, and they all won. So for people who might not understand what we're dealing with, can you, Deadleg, please explain uh, why this season started, A, in competition with Monday Night Football mm -hmm. and the midterm elections, mm -hmm. and then B, with exactly zero compelling matchups between ranked teams? Right. That's the big issue. And there were a couple obviously notable results. We'll get to that in just a little bit here. But as to the, the issue of the schedule, uh, you know, it, it, it was a problem this season. Hopefully it's not a problem next season, the season after. Normally, obviously, in the past five, six years, college basketball changed its opening day from a, the Friday night of, of that, you know, in November, second Friday to Tuesday, so that it's not competing with Monday Night Football. You have the Champions Classic because... I want to be as quick as possible as this. Okay, so every college basketball season works backward from the Masters, okay? The Masters is predetermined every single season. The Final Four always happens uh, the Monday before the Masters gets played, and then you have X amount of weeks in a given season that get played, and then you work backward from that. Because of the way the calendar broke this season, you know, not the, the 7th of November, the 6th of November is not always on the, the same day of the week, right? And you have the election year, You'll recall that in 2020, there was actually a push to have no NCAA action of any kind on election days. No practices, no games, no nothing. There was pushback on that. And so now it's more of, it's an initiative to, if you feel like you can not play games on uh, on an election day and and not practice, you know, by all means, go ahead and do that. Uh, for the most part, that wound up being true. There were only a handful of games on Tuesday night on election night. There were some games, including one that we, we at least got to mention here before we get out of this podcast. But for the most part, there weren't. So what happens then? Champions Classic gets booted back a week because of this. You don't have that, you know, tentpole event to kick off the season, which is unfortunate because that is a major event. And most every season since the Champions Classic has been a thing, Paris has gone to it. I've gone to it almost every season. Guess what? It's not happening this year. It's a, it's a week into it. We won't even be at this. Um, so everyone scheduled games on Monday night. The problem is coaches are cowards. They will not schedule. If they can avoid it, they are not going to open up their schedule against a legitimate opponent because, you know, we do have good games coming in the next week. 
Uh, you know, we've got the Champions Classic. We've got Gonzaga, Texas, Baylor, Virginia, Indiana, Xavier, Villanova, Michigan State, UCLA, Illinois, you know, Maryland, St. Louis, Florida, Florida State, and more. Those are all coming in the next week. We have really, really good games. But if you give coaches the opportunity to say, you know what? I don't get to, get to control my conference schedule. The leagues and TV determines when we play, who we play in the league play. The only thing I have control over to a limited ex extent is my non-conference schedule. So any bit of control that they can take, they're going to take advantage of. And coming off an offseason, particularly when the portal and all the transfers therein, it's never been, you know, there's never been a higher volume than the past two seasons. You know, more than 3,600 players have entered the transfer portal in the past two years. They are going to want to play a home game against a quad three or quad four opponent for the most part. You know, you might squeeze in a quad two there, but there's nothing uh, of note there. They are not, if, if they are not forced, they are not going to open up with a challenging opponent. Uh, Penny Hardaway is one exception to this. He did go on the road. They did beat Vanderbilt. That's actually a very good win for Memphis, which now is kind of, play with house money next week when it plays at St. Louis, as mentioned in the previous pod, Memphis is the only program at the power conference level or power conference designation that is opening at season with two road games. I wish coaches were less afraid coaches that have a lot of job security, but the reason this happened is twofold. The election year pushes back champions classic a week and then coaches have control over their non-conference schedules. They are going to do this every single time. The other thing to this, by the way, is that there's some, there's some murmurs out there that if the, if the genie might be out of the bottle in the Champions Classic. And I hope this is not the case. But there's definitely, a, a, you know, some hushed concern over this, I guess, with Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, and Michigan State not, at as of this moment, not being absolutely all on board to going back the way it was and having it be, you know, if we can play one or two games against inferior competition just let us warm up let's ramp up before we get into this big high profile event man we we really prefer that um obviously for the sport that's not the better thing duke kansas kentucky michigan state for the most part have fared just fine by opening their seasons for the past decade by playing one of those other teams in the champions classic uh, it should continue. We need a big event just to help kick off the season. I certainly hope it goes back to that, but uh, I'm I'm told that there's no guarantee right now it's going to go back to that. Hopefully, um, you know, ESPN is obviously the one that that broadcasts that event. Hopefully, ESPN can put its foot down and and really insist that it happens because it's good for it's good for college basketball television. It's good for the sport, and that's where we're at. It's unfortunate that we are opening up the uh, you know our first Wednesday podcast of the season by talking about your unfortunate situation, looking like you went up against Tyson. And and now, you know, not having a lot of great games on the schedule until we get to Friday. But that's the reality of where we are. This is why you've got to have somebody looking out for the sport as opposed to everybody looking out for themselves. Like on the opening weekend of college football this season, we had number five Notre Dame at number two Ohio State, number 11 Oregon against number three Georgia, number seven Utah at Florida, number 23 Cincinnati at number 19, Arkansas. If football coaches like Nick Saban can be convinced to open with interesting games in the spirit of what's good for the sport, then there is no good reason basketball coaches shouldn't be able to be convinced to do the same. There's literally nothing that can happen to you in a college basketball opener outside of a serious injury to a marquee player. That will change your season in any meaningful way. If you win the game, great. If you lose, it's not really a big deal. So the truth is, and I understand the way the calendar works, 
But these are all things that can be worked around and should be worked around. The truth is every year, every year, even election years, the season should start on a non-football day. And the opening day schedule should, at the very least, include two interesting matchups to fill a 7 o'clock window and a 9 o'clock window. That, that should not be too much to ask. Like the Philadelphia 76ers don't say, hold up. We'd like to open mm-hmm. at home against the Thunder to ease into this thing. No, the NBA says we need marquee games to start this thing. So we're going Sixers at Celtics and Lakers at Warriors. And if you win, lose, whatever, but we've got to pop this thing off right. And college basketball does not do it. It shouldn't be too much to ask because the alternative to what I'm suggesting is what we're dealing with. And, and the way we started the season is just super duper lame. I, I agree. And we're again, we're going to get a lot of really uh, the rest of November. Once we we're going to have we'll, and we'll get to the Michigan State Gonzaga aircraft carry game on our next episode. We'll preview that. That's going to be a good one. Uh, but that's really the only major one this week. And the rest of November is going to be very good. But you just, you know, you want to best set up the sport for success. And this was uh, this is what happens when you give coaches the power. Yes, the, you, they need to have their hand force. Otherwise, we're where we are. And all top 25 teams getting a win. Although, yes, a couple got scared. We can get to that as well. But, uh, y- you know, if, if the sport can somehow find a way to ensure that this doesn't happen again, you're going to set it up for success moving forward. And, yes, starting on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night would be best every year going forward. So despite the lack of compelling matchups to start the season, there have been some interesting results. Houston's Kelvin Sampson recorded his 700th, uh, 700th career victory. TCU, which is ranked 14th in the AP poll, barely got past Arkansas Pine Bluff. USC lost to Florida Gulf Coast. Oklahoma lost to Sam Houston. Florida State lost to Stetson Cal, lost to UC Davis. Georgetown, bless them, needed OT to top cop in state. We're going to get into some of that stuff next. But first, a word from our partners. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. So Deadleg has noted it has not been a compelling start to the season, but I've I've still been watching. I know you've been watching. What if anything has stood out to you? Um, TCU really almost getting knocked over by Pine Bluff. I think was the that and Florida State getting toppled by Stetson were the two biggest ones from opening night. Florida State to project an NCAA tournament team. I had him in the top forty of my rankings. Uh, Leonard Hamilton. His team really get Donnie. Give credit to Donnie Jones, who uh, who's you know been patiently and diligently trying to uh, to build something there at Stetson, getting a no doubt about it kind of win. Uh, you know that's that's where obviously this can 
this can backfire on you if you're trying to schedule you know what you think will be an easy team at home uh, a lot of teams really flirted with fire there and Florida State wound up getting uh, getting burned in a way that will I, I still I would still project Florida State to make the NCAA tournament we are one game in to a 30 plus game schedule before we get to the NCAA tournament but if Florida State is a bubble team losing at home to, to Stetson and I am I actually love this about college basketball. Once we get into like early March, you start to hear a little bit of that out of date, outmoded thinking where how you're playing then should matter more than no, every game counts. Every game counts equally. And so if you can't beat Stetson on your home floor, no matter when that game happens, yes, it should have a, a significant impact on your NCAA tournament case. We'll see if that winds up being the case there. I couldn't help but notice the fact that, um, TCU, you know, Creighton got a decent push. It, it wound up, it wound up pulling away. Yeah, they won. It, they ended up winning by double digits. So if you just look at it, you're like, oh, well, Creighton won by double digits is fine. But like, they, they were, they were in trouble for a minute. And that's St. Thomas, a program that the Tommies, shouts to the Tommies. They've only been D one for this is second season. Um, they got a, they got a push there. Um, so TCU and Creighton ranked higher in the preseason than ever before in program history. Uh, I, I just, I, I couldn't help but. Uh, but notice that I'll also, by the way, um, I had this in my notes. I forgot to bring it up. It, it, Florida state didn't have their big Spanish freshman, Bob Miller, who's out for 16 games because of um, just a whole bunch of nonsense. He shouldn't be suspended that long, but he is. And had he been on the floor, I don't know if it would have made it. Uh, Stetson played that well, but it is. It, we do have to at least note that, that he wasn't, uh, he should have, he, wasn't there. he should have enrolled at Memphis. They would have played him no matter what. You're actually, all right. you're right about that. Uh, Bona as well. Should have, should have gone to Memphis. That is yeah, Memphis correct. does not care when the NCAA says you got to sit somebody out. They're just going to play them no matter what. And look what happens when these, that happens. These young people aren't paying attention. On the note of Creighton, um, shouts to uh, Rush the Court pointed this out recently uh, on Twitter, uh, reminded me. So in each of the past three seasons, at least one preseason AP top 10 team went on to f- be unranked at the end of the season. And it's actually happened uh, 16 times overall, 16 instances in the past 10 seasons. So it happens uh, pretty much every single season. And in some seasons, we have multiple instances of that. We're looking at the preseason top 10 this season, it's, you know, I, I think the teams that are in there are Creighton, Arkansas, Duke, that are the three candidates um, only because of Creighton's early, early struggles. Arkansas has a whole new roster. Duke has a new coach. I don't think Creighton will be that. But those are the three teams that I think would be most likely. We'll see if it winds up happening in recent seasons a year ago. Uh, it was Michigan year before that. It was Wisconsin, uh, and we also had Duke and Kentucky. Those were all preseason top ten teams two seasons ago. They didn't wind up ranked. You go back in recent history; it's been Florida, Carolina, USC, Xavier, Wichita State, Texas have all been preseason top ten teams to finish unranked at the end of the season. We'll see if that winds up being the case there. Um, I've got a couple other observations, but I want to volley this back to you. What stood out to you? What takeaways do you have from the first two nights of the season? Well, um, what you noted, obviously, like I'm obviously paying close attention to the ranked teams that are playing because I've got to update the top 25 and one every morning. And so I'm sort of, you know, creating the comments for that, um, for that piece in real time. Like I'm waiting for, uh, the, the, Kentucky game to go final so I can go ahead and knock that comment out. All right, there's one because you ha- I had to write 25 new comments on, on Monday night. The only team in the top 25 and one that did not play Monday was Purdue, which played Tuesday and just like everybody else won. Got um, 
pretty impressive performances from a couple of freshman guards. One borderline top 100, another borderline top 200. Both started for Purdue and like, you know, looked comfortable. And it was a um, another reason to believe that despite the roster turnover and the lack of obvious talent in the program, Purdue under Matt Painter is probably going to be um, good again. That's why I have him in the top 25 and one. I believe in Matt Painter. We've talked about that before. So I'm following all that stuff and watching TCU get pushed and Creighton get pushed. Obviously interesting. Um, another thing that stood out, a lot of marquee freshmen did not play. Derek Lively mm-hmm. didn't play. Derek Whitehead didn't play. Nick Smith did not play at Arkansas. And Adeem Bona, I mentioned, did not play at UCLA. So some of the biggest names projected lottery picks weren't available for various reasons in the season opener. Um, but Jet Howard was. And this is somebody we've talked about a lot. And I'm not going to proclaim victory just yet. But I had consistently the entire offseason said, with all due respect to the recruiting analysts, because they see these guys way more than I see these guys. I always acknowledge that. And my evaluation of Jed Howard was a small sample size. But when I saw him, he looked like a five-star, you know, possible one-and-done NBA draft pick. And yet he was ranked outside of the top 40 in his high school class. And it was just a season opener against Purdue Fort Wayne. I'm happy to wait with the rest of you and see how this plays out. But he looked the part. He was 8 of 15 from the field, 5 of 10 from 3, got 21 points, 5 assists, and looked like he's got a chance to be one of the best freshmen in the country, even if, broadly speaking, he he isn't ranked that way. No, he looked he looked wonderful. Uh, and I yeah, I, I do expect him to be uh, among the most notable. That was that was good to see. Other ones that stood out, freshmen, just real quick, uh, aside from Jet, who yeah, looked good against Purdue Fort Wayne. Uh, Grady Dick might have had the best night yeah. of any freshman. I mean, Grady Dick was uh, again, Grady Dick is his Love name. Him. He looks like you think he looks 23 points uh, for Kansas and was I mean, I was checking in here and there. They won 89-64 over Omaha. But uh, what I did see there, he would look like the um, the most important player and the best player on the floor in that one. So he had a, he had a big night. Uh, Keontae George, uh, both are... No, you have Nick Smith, freshman of the year. I have Keontae George, national freshman of the year. He went for 13 points, seven assists, six boards, only one turnover. Uh, and Baylor's, you know, they Mississippi Valley State's uh, considered, you know, bottom five team. According to Ken Palm, they rolled him. But Keontae George had a, had a good college opener. Cason uh, Wallace played well. 15 points in his debut for Kentucky, along with nine assists and six rebounds. A pair of steals as well. I thought he did well for himself. And then two more to note. Uh, Duke was, was shorthanded. Mark Mitchell actually did well for himself. Uh, 18 points, uh, just two assists, but he had a block and a steal. Duke got a push from Jacksonville early, 171-44. They've got so many good freshmen, no lively, no whitehead. Mark Mitchell steps up and he uh, he has a good one. And then uh, another team hit on a couple teams that almost that almost got toppled. Uh, South Carolina almost lost to South Carolina State. They only won by three. Gigi Jackson had 18 and 10 in that game. So the freshman had a really nice game and a nice debut in Gamecock threads. But South Carolina State uh, nearly pulled it off. And I had two people who have been in to see South Carolina in the past month reach out and say, because I had South Carolina in my top 101. And they're like, you might be right, but it's looking like it could be a long season. So we'll see. Like, just not not rave reviews behind the scenes about how the team, they're, they're under first-year coach, they need time. Uh, but 
those opinions were reflected in the final score and the way that South Carolina actually got its skin of its teeth win against South Carolina State. So those were some freshmen to me that uh, that stood out. One more close one. Oh, well, we got to get to two, right? Both in the Big East. Providence got a scare from Ryder. Mm-hmm. The Bronx had the ball down one, five seconds to go. And then one of their players tripped over himself. It spoiled even a chance to get off a potential uh, shot to, to win the game with an upset. So Providence dodges one. They did not play good defense at all in the first half, uh, but they get the win. And then, oh my, oh my, Georgetown wound up pulling away in overtime. But Coppin State had a, had a little bit of a crazy sequence to tie the game on a three-pointer. Coppin State was leading down the stretch against Patrick Ewing's team, which... You know, it's been almost 11 months since they actually even won a game. They did get the win. Hoyas got the win. Noisy night in D.C. Of course, I'm only referring to what happened on the basketball floor. And they got the win. But my goodness, Georgetown fans, I know you're like you're tired of this. But to open the season, Coppin State, nearby, nearby program, Juan Dixon leading that school. That would have been a huge yikes. It already was noisy enough that it got to overtime. It was like the only game of real no province got a little run, but Georgetown, because they hadn't won a game GP in so long, they, they, they get the win, but it does not portend to a significant turnaround this season under Ewing. Yeah. I went from focusing, you know, my office, I've obviously like most people in our jobs have lots of different screens available. And I went from focusing on cable news, the midterm elections to, all right, I guess I'm going to have to put the volume up on Georgetown and <laughs> and and pay a little closer attention to this. And like we've talked about this before, um I'm not a Georgetown fan, but I'm a fan of college basketball. And I was thinking about this last night. Georgetown might really be the first university that I was aware of. If this makes sense. Because it was such a big brand in college basketball when I was a kid. It was like I just knew Georgetown existed in a way that I don't even think at the time I knew Ole Miss existed, you know. And as and this Great. is as somebody growing up in Mississippi. That I just school for me, by the way, is Louisville, which I lived at in the mid '80s when they were good, and so I happened to live in the city. And so, yeah, mine is mine is uh, yeah, like Louisville. at the time in the metro. Metro. There I was we raised go. on the Metro Conference. Shouts to Purvis Ellison. Um, so it's like George, like Patrick Ewing, like I obviously lived in the in the suburbs of Memphis, and this is when Memphis had Keith Lee as a big, and he was a multi-year first-team All-American. Um, he was a comparable college player to to Patrick Ewing, uh, not not the not a similar NBA prospect, although he was a you know top fifteen pick in the draft, but he had an incredible four-year career at the collegiate level, same as, as Patrick did. And so this was always the thing. Like the 85 championship game was supposed to be Georgetown against Memphis state, Keith Lee against Patrick Ewing. This is my childhood. I'm telling you about. And then of course, Villanova upsets Memphis and Villanova upsets Georgetown. But that, that that's a big thing in my childhood, big John Thompson, Patrick Ewing, Georgetown Hoyas. And to watch that program go from that. And it was, it was like people, I think sometimes people go, well, Georgetown hadn't been Georgetown in forever. Like JT three took Georgetown to a final four and was pretty consistently good um, at, at Georgetown until it kind of, it undeniably. Yeah, they off. had some issues with double digit C's after that final four run, but yes, but like, we'll, we'll go take. look at his, go look at JT three's Wikipedia page and ask Georgetown fans. If right now they take that all over again, right. Yes. In a second. 
So it didn't just fall off after Big John, but it, it was a monster of a program. And then just to see it go winless in the Big East last season and then struggle with Coppin State in the opener, like I had no money on this game. It, it, it wasn't going to impact the top 25 and one. I swear to you, hand the heart last night. I'm going, come on, Georgetown, just just figure this out. Don't lose. I feel bad for Patrick. You know how badly he wants to not be mm-hmm. the face of a, a program that is operating, you know, at the place it's been operating for a while. You know how badly he must want to get this to a good place. And maybe he still will. I, I hope so. I just think it would be cool to see Patrick Ewing being great at Georgetown, but they had a 21 game losing streak going into the last night and then needed overtime to get past Coppin state. That's uh, I'm glad it ended well. Cause if you're a Georgetown player this morning, somebody says, Hey, how did things go last night? We won by double digits. Just keep it at that. We won by double digits, but like they, they needed overtime to get past Coppin state. And we're very close to losing. That was not an encouraging season opening performance. Uh, Georgetown did not win its season opener a year ago at home. Lost to Dartmouth. Ken Palm projects Georgetown to go six and fourteen in the Big East. Uh, both, I think we both would take the under on that. So, someone find us uh, right when the Big East is about to start and remind us of our predictions here, because we will forget them. GP, I will set it at three and a half wins in Big East play. Will you go over or under for the Georgetown Hoyas this season? Well, I, I think two days ago I probably said I just over you know somebody will be sick on another team somebody will turn an ankle you'll just you'll win a couple of games at home you're not supposed to they'll get there and they still might but it's not like hey maybe Coppin State's better than we thought like Charlotte pounded Coppin State was on the second night of a back-to-back crazy right that's the thing about it not to mention that in YouTube chat they played the night before and lost 82-59 at Charlotte was Charlotte which you know, they're trying to get back to uh, to somewhat glory days, but they're like, they're a middle of the sport team. They're like, you know, in CUSA, they're a middle of the pack team. And then they absolutely got routed by them. They come back a day later and they almost peel it off at Georgetown. That's what kind of made it even wilder. Right. And so I'm not, I'm not optimistic, but maybe, maybe we'll look up and we'll go, Hey, that was just a really terrible first game for Georgetown, but they look much better, you know, in the subsequent weeks, but I'm not I'll sure. Say, I'll say over. I'm, I said it at three. I, and yeah, a half. I'm going to say, I'm going to say I'll over say as over. well, just because like you should be able to win four Big East games. Well, well they went 0 and 20 last I year. I know what they did. I they went 0 they and did. 20. They did not win one. If we had said it at point five, they would not, but I will say, I will, I will say over, uh, I will say over as well. Yeah. That's probably the majority of oh, any other notable. Well, I do. I do want to touch on the top of the American Athletic Conference real quick because there was a couple of notable things there. One, congratulations to Kelvin Sampson. Got a 700th career win. Mm-hmm. And this is a man who spent, you know, several years out of the sport after being forced to resign at, at Indiana. So, like, if that never happens, if he never has to be forced out at Indiana, like, where is Indiana basketball now? And how many wins does Kelvin Sampson have? And does he have a national championship already? Like all of that stuff is probably in play. As we talked about before, you even go look at that last team he had at Indiana. That was a legitimate national championship contender. And then Dan Dockage took it over and ran it straight into the ground, like immediately just (laughs) torpedoed it. Like it's unbelievable how he took a great thing and just made it awful. But like, you know, there's other examples of that in his, uh, in his own life, I think. So, but, but like Kelvin could have won a title that year. And if not that year, then in the subsequent years. But either way, after, an, after being forced out at Indiana, taking a 
total rebuilding situation at Houston and missing several years of being a Division One men's basketball coach, he's still at 700 career victories. And I think arguably, if not undeniably, has his best chance ever right now to actually win a national championship. As of yesterday morning, um, North Carolina and Gonzaga, according to Caesar Sportsbook, I mean, North Carolina and Kentucky, rather, according to Caesar Sportsbook, had the best odds to win the national championship, but Houston was was third. And obviously, if you watch the season opener, it was against an outclassed opponent, but they just overwhelmed them. And it was nice to see Sel- uh, Kelvin get that 700th win, and he'll go for 701 on Friday night at the U.S. Naval Academy uh, in the Veterans Classic. Trivia time. Okay, let's go. I got two of them. All right. There's going to be one other coach that gets to 700 this season. Do you know who it is? Jim Laranega. Bada bing. I know it because I just was looking at it last night. All right. Jim Laranega sitting at 697. Let me bring up the Miami schedule real quick for you right here. So 697 for Coach L, as they call him. Coach L got a win, got a dub against Lafayette. No, not a lot of drama there. So UNC Greensboro, 698. Florida A&M, 699. And then, ooh, right up here in... uh, in my in my state of Connecticut, uh, win number seven hundred could come maybe against Providence uh, at at Mohegan Sun next Saturday. Okay, so the part of oh, you got another trivia time. Yeah, yeah. yeah part okay, of, okay. I, now I I wondered if you researched this, but I'll ask it anyway. And plus, it's it's uh, something for our listeners to learn. All right, how many active coaches have seven hundred or more wins in men's D one? I was going to ask you this, and then I was like, I don't feel like looking it up, so I just amazing the whole how thing. we're on the same. I, I, I wondered if you might look it up as well. I was like, if he tries to trivia time me with this, I'm not going to even, I won't so even. So obviously, um, Bob Huggins. Yes. John a- Calipari. one at the D level for Bob Huggins. Yeah. John Calipari. Calipari. Yes. He's at 768. Some of these are NCAA vacated adjusted. But yes. Yeah, whatever. Uh, Jim Beheim. How about this on Jim Beheim? Jim Beheim obviously has the most of any active coach. Beheim just got, Beheim was on the sideline. For his 1,100th victory, okay, I'll phrase it that way. Beheim was on the sideline for his 1,100th victory on opening night against Lehigh. But because 101 wins have been taken away from him, he's now sitting at 999 in the eyes of the NCAA, meaning if Syracuse beats Colgate in its next game, that won't be an easy one. Colgate's good. But if Syracuse beats Colgate in its next game, Jim Beheim will make history. He'll become the first coach to ever win 1,000 games twice. So that's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. That, it is ridiculous. Jim Beheim has overseen 1,100 wins at Syracuse. That's the number that I choose to recognize. The NCAA technically has him sitting at 999. He will, when his career ends, most likely surpass Mike Krzyzewski for having the most, you know, overseen the most victories in the history of D1. Whatever. So, Matt, so how many have we named now? You have named Huggins. Uh, uh, the question is how many there are. Oh, you yeah. have named Huggins. We got obviously Samson's baked in. Beheim. Uh, Calipari, I think you got those four. So we're, we need a, we need more, but I don't want to tell you how many more because I need the number. Right, I'm just going to try to talk through it. Bill Self right. is there, I think. Right. 763, that's five. Is Rick Barnes there already? That's right. 754, that's six. I, I, you might have you might have mentioned another coach. I just don't remember if you mentioned it or not. I think you did. Did you mention Patino? No, but he was in my head. Patino. Okay. We'll give it obviously, to you. Obviously. Seven. We could be done at seven or there could be more. You 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 think through it. 
Those are the only ones that pop into my head. Who am I missing? Am I how many? How many am I missing? You are missing two. There are nine active Division One men's basketball coaches with at least seven hundred wins. I feel like we talked about this at one point, and surprisingly, at least surprisingly to me, Dana Altman's name came up. Bada bing. Dana Altman is lowest on the list. Well, now Kelvin's technically lowest. Dana Altman's at 710. The last one's tough. Not a coach of a power conference program currently. Hmm. But been doing this at the D1 level since 1975. So it's an older fella. He's 76. He'll be 77 in December. Plays the bass. Did he used to coach in a power conference? That is correct. In the SEC? That is correct. At Auburn? That is correct. Cliff Ellis? That is right. Cliff Ellis is the ninth. He is at 894. Cliff Ellis is going to get to 900 wins. Good for him. I remember a few years ago. This is several years ago. Cliff was coming off of some sort of surgery. And like I don't, I don't remember if it was a knee or a hip. The type of surgery that is, you know, very common for um, a person who is in, at an advanced age. And and he was limping into uh, Peach Jam, and I was sitting with a younger coach, and he said, "GP, I, I swear to God, if you ever see me walk into a gym like that, come come take me, and put me back on my plane, and send me home, <laughs> and just t- tell me it's time. I've had a good career, but it's time to to not do this anymore." But you know, and and I, it, it, what's funny is coaches always say that when they're young, and then and then they are that guy. That happens almost exactly. none of them actually walk away. Uh, when Jay when, Wright walked away, Jay Wright did. Jay Wright did. But most of the guys who say you'll never see me coaching at sixty, they're like they're sixty-seven right now and still coaching with no end in sight or something similar to that. So most coaches don't actually walk away they, the way they'd like to think that they would. Um, but most of them, most of them do say something like that. You you rarely hear a coach in his forties talking about, oh yeah, I'm I'm planning to still be coaching in my seventies. They a- almost always say, I'm gonna try to get out of here by by sixty. And 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 I, I do think that 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 might be more of a reality going forward. I do too. Just given how much money these guys make now, money, and then just I don't know the nature and, of the job. It's always not been an easy job, but it's right. it's more challenging than it's ever. And by the way, I don't know if I mentioned this, Cliff Ellis has been. Rocking it hardcore at Coastal Carolina since 2007, he is still there. Yeah, so you get a lot of um, you you get a lot of guys who got so much money that they can they can go. You know what? I don't want to do this anymore. Which is kind of what Jay decided for a variety of reasons. So I think it might become more common guys walking away. But for the most part, um, the guys, who, uh, you know, I've been doing this now for more than 20 years, and I can remember having conversations with guys 15, 20 years ago who were like, "I'll I'll never be here when I'm 60." And they're like literally still running some of the best programs in the country in their 60s right now. That is how it goes. Uh, so what else you got? Well, elsewhere in the American, you touched on this, um, but it was probably one of the most notable results for the first two nights. Uh, Memphis was the only power conference team to play a power conference team in its season opener. And the Tigers went on the road and played a Vanderbilt team that had reportedly handled Xavier pretty easily in a scrimmage the week before. And I don't know how much of this game you saw, but Memphis, like, controlled it from start to finish they were up by double digits early by 19 at one point and won the game by nine um kendrick davis was good deandre williams was um his usual self you know john rostein pointed this out on twitter it's something i've obviously mentioned before 
since DeAndre Williams enrolled at Memphis, um, when he plays, the Tigers are 36 and 12. And when he doesn't, they're just seven and seven. And so what's wild is that under Penny Hardaway, that Memphis program has enrolled five five star guys, including, you know, top 20 picks like Precious Achua, James Wiseman, uh, Jalen Duran. And yet you can argue quite convincingly that the most important player to the Memphis program in the Penny Hardaway era has not been a five-star freshman, even though Penny has had two top-ranked recruiting classes. The most important player of the Penny Hardaway era is actually a 26-year-old transfer from Evansville, and that appears to still uh, be the case. Memphis has one terrific college basketball player in Kendrick Davis, another very good one in DeAndre Williams, and then just a bunch of role players. And they look like a pretty good college basketball team. They're really old. According to Ken Palm, literally the most experienced team in in the country. Now, yeah. they don't have a lot of experience playing together, but they've got a lot of experience at the Division One level. Penny only played seven guys, at least 15 minutes. Rotation was short. Um, everybody seemed to understand their roles. Even DeAndre Williams said, you know, one of the differences between the start of this season and the start of last season is that, you know, nobody's on the bench complaining about playing time. Nobody's complaining about shots. You know, everybody understands their role. And it was a it was a nice first impression. And now Memphis goes on the road once again on Tuesday uh, to play St. Louis mm-hmm. if they were to win that one. And that's going to be tough. St. Louis is good. And then come home and beat VCU. Uh, they would open the season with three straight wins over top 100 Kempom teams and might be able to break into the Associated Press top 25 poll on the subsequent Monday. Yeah, uh- I didn't have Vandy in my top 101 entering the season. They are that at Ken Palm. They're 74 right now. We'll see. That, that, that'll probably be a quad two win at worst, hopefully for Memphis. The, the benefit here is that if you're able, you've already, like now it's, it's a little bit of a house money situation. St. Louis will be a tough one to pull off. But if you get it, my goodness, talk about uh, really benefiting your at-large case down the road. Why these games do matter. I went on your radio show earlier this week and said that very thing. These things can have really strong downstream effects once we get to trying to figure out if whether you should be in or out and if you're in you know seed line knock them up a spot right so we'll see if they can pull it off they got the road win under their belt that's a big one that's a nice that's a nice ad for memphis there and obviously an intriguing team to follow this season because yes it's kendrick davis we'll see like it's not unthinkable he could be the american player of the year houston's got dudes no doubt about it but if kendrick davis winds up being the guy who truly uh, changes the game for Memphis, then maybe, you know, he's certainly good enough. He's one of the best guards in the country there. And then DeAndre Williams, like, yeah, what, what do you want me to say, Parrish? You, you have a 26-year-old on your roster. That is going to make a difference. Yes, there's a lot of a lot of teams have a lot of old guys. Those old guys are like 22, some 23-year-old. Dude's 26. 26. He has lived a life. He's practically ready to write a memoir. I actually think that has real tangible effects on Memphis' outlook this season. We'll see if they can keep it going. They don't play again for I don't know why. There's an eight day gap. They don't play again. Like, like even Jerry Stackhouse, even Jerry Stackhouse after the game said, uh, you know, one of those guys over there used to play with me. Exactly. <laughs> like, and I'm sure like for DeAndre Williams, the jokes have gotten like old. Maybe he rolls with it. I don't know. Yeah. But dude, it's it's actually I think it's a it's a fun little plot line of this. He, he's 20. He, dude is playing college basketball, 26 years old. There's got to be. I mean, is 20 percent of the NBA younger than him? Probably. Like how many guys are playing are getting an NBA paycheck on a roster right now that are younger than DeAndre Williams? Incredible. I I, I should do this just for just to but like I think you could do top seven players in the Grizzlies rotation right now, top seven players in the Tigers rotation right now, and the Grizzlies might on average be younger. They I I would 
I bet you they are. They gotta be. Yeah, they gotta be top seven in rotation. I mean, it's close yeah. because like Jaws twenty three now. Um, but like yeah. Jake Laravia is in the rotation. David Roddy is in the rotation. They got multiple rookies in the rotation. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. The Grizzlies and Tigers aren't that different in terms of age. Sounds like is, a radio segment for you, my man. I'll get to it at some point. I'll get to it at uh, at some point. Before we get out of here, somebody did in the YouTube comments uh, mention John Gallagher. And I, I do think that's worth noting because, you know, he was a big story in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago when he got um, Hartford there for the first time in school history. And, you know, a, as you know, that that school is now transitioning to a lower level of college basketball. And John uh, literally on opening day Monday um, submitted his resignation um, and and accused the school of being in breach of contract. Um you talked to John and wrote the story. I texted with him. Like he, he's one of my favorite people. He's just like every once in a while, you'll get these random conversations. Like if you could hang out with four basketball coaches, who would they be? And you know, that I think we even did a candid coaches question on this one time. And the names that often come up are like Bob Huggins. Cause he's a blast. And Bill self is a lot of fun. Um, but like, if you get outside of the big names and you like really have been around college basketball coaches, like John Gallagher is going to be on that list for a lot of people. He's a trip. And it just, man, I hate it for him that he finds himself in, in this situation um, because he and the people who care about that program, um, you know, I, I know I'm talking about this from a distance and there's two sides to every story, but I, I think he deserved better. And I wish he got better because I, I like, I like him leading and caring deeply about that program. And I don't like him being out of the sport. Yeah, we've got two coaching changes uh, that have already happened. You had Steve Masiello, who was fired at Manhattan and now is a, a, an unpaid advisor to Rick Pitino. Rick Pitino, obviously, Mass played for him. Uh, he's now <laughs> at Iona. So that's a wild one. And then, yes, Gallagher resigned on Monday. I did ask. I was like, hey, just, just so I'm clear, you're not going to go anywhere else. This. He's like, no, I'm not coaching this season. It just reached a breaking point. He did tell me, and none of our none of our conversation was off the record. So he said, listen, I could have put a lot more stuff in that letter than I did. I could, you know, and again, two sides to every story. But the absolute breaking point was when the school, now Hartford's transitioning out of Division One down to Division Three, And Gallagher and many others have tried to change that and keep it a Division One program. And literally, they made the 2021 NCAA tournament for the first time. They play against Baylor. They lose against Baylor. And within 24 hours of that experience, which is so validating for a coach and a staff and a school at a level like Hartford, right? Coming out of the America East where Vermont's dominated that conference for the better part of 10, 15 years, you break through, you make the tournament just incredible. He learns, Oh, by the way. Yeah. Great job. But, uh, but in a few years, your school's not even going to be able to play in this thing because we're moving you down to D three. Now, I'm not even getting into the economics of their, of their athletics part, whatever. He tried to reverse that and, and failed in that, in that push. Um, slowly but surely over the past, you know, year, year and a half, uh, Gallagher has felt as though, you know, the support and resources around his program have continually been stripped away, uh, that he has been lied to, misled, and the biggest issue he had as of late, he told me he was debating resigning for a month. Okay. But the biggest issue he had was when Hartford, which still is not a, it, it's not a terrible team. It beat Dartmouth in this scrimmage that it went up and played against uh, the big green, 
But they go up to this scrimmage at Dartmouth. Hartford doesn't send a trainer, which is not com- not commonplace. Yes, Dartmouth had a trainer on staff, obviously. But a Hartford player winds up getting injured. And Gallagher said, I couldn't sleep. I was sick. I couldn't focus the next day. This really messed me up. Uh, I didn't like it. I was never comfortable with it to begin with, that we were driving up there. We were on a bus, and there wasn't a trainer on the bus with us. It just had never happened. You don't do this. Particularly if you're, you know, Hartford's still technically a Division One institution. It's independent this season. It's out of the America East. It's going to be D3 in just a couple of years here. And so he felt, and he did, this is quoted in the story, but he's like, the fact of the matter is, the players are going to be treated better if I'm not there. The relationship between the president and myself and the athletic director and myself, like it just got to a point where it wasn't a, it wasn't a productive situation, you know? And so by me stepping away, him doing it now, his longtime assistant gets a chance to be the interim coach. And you know, that's you know good for him and all that, but it is, yeah, it's, it was, it certainly got more attention than I thought it would. But a lot of that was because of the allegations made in the letter. Now the school did refute some of that refute some of that and say that some of that stuff was baseless and Gallagher wasn't, uh, you know, all right in what he was saying. So be it. Hartford has uh, certainly made a mess of itself. And you know what? We're not going to be talking about Hartford basketball anymore. Not that we did much to do did to begin with, but they're going to D3 and uh, certainly not a uh, not a way to drape yourself in glory on the way out of the Division One level. All right. I think it's time for me to go put an ice pack on my face. Yeah, you need to go take... Get that taken care of, man. That's uh, good. Goodness gracious, man. How about literally on the opening day of the season? Like, there's never a good time to do this. It hurts. Yeah. <laughs> but I could have done this in May, or June, July. Oh, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. Man, oh, man. Yeah. I've got a, I, I should be good to go on our next pod. I got a, I got like a, you know, a big time dentist cleaning situation later today. I got to get that done, but I got to figure that I'm good to talk tomorrow night. <laughs> I better be. If I can talk under these circumstances, you can talk. Well, you under know, your well, you can talk. It's, it's more your appearance. You can talk. I think I think that I am good to go. But yes, I got a I got a dentist appointment this afternoon. We're off to a rough start. I know. It's a, a lot of chat. Life is full of challenges, you know. I hear you. Life hear is you. full of challenges. You just try they to. said we couldn't make this episode 55 minutes long. Well, we grew <laughs> along yet again. All I need is 14. Dude, I can get 55 minutes out of anything, especially on, on the first episode since I've had 14 stitches put above my left eye. Not a problem. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Huck and Larnell. And thank you guys once again for listening to the Iron College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Five stars, nice review. There's more of us than there are of them. Certain of that. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't done that yet. We're going to talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. It's all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus.